0: We are in our last week, we're actually on the last day of April, so we're in the last week of our April series uh, called Making an Appearance, and this is a a short series that we did after Easter, after Resurrection Sunday. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, but you know, there was 40 days that he was still on earth after he resurrected, and before he went into heaven, he made some appearances to people, and so we're talking through some of those over these uh, past three weeks. We started a couple weeks ago with Peter, and how how Jesus reinstated Peter after he had uh, resurrected, and then last week Jessica did a great job sharing a, a powerful word about the, the people that were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus meeting with them. And uh, today we're going to finish it up. And uh, I'm really excited. I'm a little amped up for today, actually, so uh, I'm glad you guys are here. In fact, I'm so glad that you decided to come to church today. I know it's a little rainy, but it's always good to be in the house. Amen? And, and I, I want to just ask us today, let's, let's just do ourselves a favor. Let's make these next few minutes about Jesus. Let's just make it about him, not even about what he can do for us, but just about him. Just that he would, you know, my prayer is that he would make an appearance in this place today, and not just in this room, but in your life and in my life. That we always need more of him in our life, um, but we can fall in this trap of feeling like, you know, him in our life just means what he's going to do for us. But it's really not about that first. It's about just him revealing himself to us and showing him, showing us who he is, uh, so that we can believe him and um, So so let's do that today. In fact, I want you to stand with me. We're gonna pray as we get started today. You know, you may have been distracted when you came in. There might be 100 things on your plate right now. You may have been distracted a little bit during worship. You may be thinking now about where you're gonna go to lunch. Let's just put all that aside and let's just focus on him. Let's just let him have this time in our hearts over these next few minutes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have together today. Lord, I pray that you would come and you would invade our hearts today, that you would have your way, that this would be about you It would be all about you and it's all for you. And God, would you help us to push aside the distractions that would want to come in in this time and just let you do what you want to do. I pray you would reveal yourself to us in a greater way that we would love you even more when we leave this place than we did when we came in. And God, we just want to give you all the glory and all the honor. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand your word today? In Jesus' name. And everyone said Amen. Praise God. Before you're seated, let me read my text verse to you this morning. Out of John 20, this is one of the, uh, the moments where Jesus was appearing to people as he was walking the earth after his resurrection. I'm going to start in verse 19 and 20, and then we're going to drop down to 24. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now I'm going to jump down to to verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. The title of my message today is called Stages of Faith. Lord, speak to us through your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Stages of faith this morning. So if you spend any amount of time here at New Hope, uh, which maybe some of you haven't. In fact, every week we have new visitors and we're thankful for you guys being here. Uh, uh, so this will be a little bit of an education for you. But for those of you that have, this is your home, you know that we talk a lot about this journey of faith that we're on, that, that this salvation walk that we walk is a journey that it's, it starts with the, at the moment of salvation, but then it continues on. That we are being sanctified. That it is not just a one-time decision, and then we just do our thing, but we live this life living for him. And uh, that, it, it, that we even go through stages in our faith. And that as we grow in our faith, we become more mature, and we understand more. You know, There's, there's nuances of this faith that take a lifetime to understand. Some of them we'll never understand until we're face-to-face with Jesus. And uh, young people, it should be an encouragement to you, that you're not, you're not going to be at the same place somebody has been saved for a long time is going to be at. That the doubts, the struggles that you have, that it's about growing in those all the time and, and staying true to what God has shown us to do. And it's a challenge for us, it's a journey, but we, we progress as we walk along this life of faith. It's not a perfect progression, it's not step by step by step that everything just goes flawlessly. Sometimes we'll go through a season where we progress and then we'll go through another season where we regress sometimes. That's never God's heart for us, but we're human beings and sometimes that happens. But we're on this journey of faith together. And what I'm talking to you about today is Thomas, who uh, you know, there's not a whole lot about him in the Bible, but we see enough of his journey to see uh, the character of God and how God works. And I believe that it's going to challenge us today and also encourage us a lot, I believe. I love the truth that we see from the story of Thomas from the, the gospels. Um, if you're not familiar with Thomas, let me introduce you to him a little bit. Uh, he was one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus. He was there from pretty much from the beginning. and, and uh, he was, They called him Didymus, which that word means twin, uh, which most people believe that they called him that because he probably looked a lot like Jesus. And so they actually called him twin uh, because he looked like him. What a, what a gift to say, hey, I look just like Jesus. I mean, uh, we want to look like Jesus too, but he literally looked like Jesus. So that was pretty cool. And uh, he walked with Jesus, he got to see the greatest miracles that have ever been perpetrated in the history of the world. He got to see him with his eyes, and he believed that Jesus was who he said he was, he believed he was the Messiah, he was all in on it, and then all of a sudden his world came crashing down because his hero, his ruler, his leader, his chief died. You see, he believed he was the Messiah, but in, in those days there was a misunderstanding of what the Messiah was going to do and how he was going to uh, uh, function and what was going to happen when the Messiah comes. The, the Jews wholeheartedly believed that when the Messiah came, he was going to redeem Israel. But they didn't know that he wasn't going to necessarily redeem them as a nation. He, was going, he wanted to redeem their hearts and redeem their spirits back to him. But they thought it was that he was going to redeem Israel. Israel was currently under Roman occupation in Israel. They thought the Messiah would come, he was going to do all these miracles, and then he was going to eventually kick Rome out of Israel and reestablish the throne of David in Israel, and they were going to be a sovereign nation again. And this is even what the disciples thought for the most part. And so when Jesus died, their dreams were crushed. They were shattered. They were, they were completely depressed and feeling defeated and hopeless. And we can see this. In Thomas's life. In fact, you can see it in my text verse where he says, I'm not going to believe unless I see it because he already let me down once. And he didn't want to have to go through that again. He actually felt like they, that uh, Jesus failed him. And to, in his defense, their minds weren't opened to the scriptures yet at that point. In fact, we see in Luke, in Luke's version of the gospel, at the very end of Luke, right before Jesus is actually going back to heaven, it says that he was with the disciples. And it says in Luke 24, 45, look at what it says. It says, then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So they couldn't even understand it before. So to some d- degree, it wasn't even really Thomas's fault and the other guy's fault because they didn't have the understanding. Jesus had to open their minds to understand it. And if you read on in Luke 24, he actually shares the gospel again with the disciples. And this time they get it. And it changed their life. And they lived for him and went on and they were the, the, the foundation of the early church in many ways. So we see that wasn't all on them because they really didn't even have an understanding. So we can see how why Thomas would have given up. Why he was so discouraged and so frustrated. We saw that on the road to Emmaus. Jessica was sharing last week that these two people going to Emmaus, that Jesus approached them, they didn't even recognize him, and they're talking to Jesus, and they're talking to him about him in the past tense. Oh, he was a great prophet. He was very powerful. He was wonderful. We believe this. They were talking about him in the past tense as if he was gone. They were defeated too, and they didn't understand what had actually happened. So you could see why Thomas was down. He said, unless I see it, I will not believe it. Now, he's not the first one to be frustrated in his faith in the Bible, and he's definitely not the last. We see it all through the Bible. It's consistent in the Bible. In fact, I could take you all the way back just for a moment to ancient Israel, back when they just became a nation. They'd gone into Egypt as a small, very small nation, really. And then while they were in Egypt, they grew and became a, a multitude of people. But in Egypt, if you know the story, you know that they became enslaved while they were there. And they were under severe oppression for 440 years. And God finally raises up Moses, and Moses is going to deliver these people. And God, the way God tells Moses, you're going to do this, is he speaks to him miraculously from a bush that's on fire, but it's not being burned up. And so Moses is like, well, I need to pay attention to this, because that doesn't happen every day. But to prove that God was going to use him, God did a couple miracles right there in front of Moses. He had a staff, and he told Moses, throw your staff down. He throws the staff down, it becomes a snake. He says, grab the the tail of the snake. He grabs the tail, and it becomes a staff again. Pretty cool miracle. And he says, okay, now put your hand inside your cloak. He puts his hand inside and pulls it out. It's white as snow with leprosy. And he says, put it back in. He puts it back in his cloak, pulls it back out, it's completely healed. So Moses is like, okay, I'm a believer. And so he goes to the elders of Israel, and he says, hey, Today is the best, you're going to hear the best news you've heard in 440 years, guys. God's going to deliver you out of Egypt, He's going to use me to do it. And it says that Moses actually did the same miracles for these elders that God did for Moses when he convinced them. So he used the staff, he did the hand thing, and the elders were like, Whoa, that's really cool. We're in. This is great. They had the they were excited about the news. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Hey. God says, let my people go out into the desert and worship him. We need to take a three-day walk with everything we have, all of our possessions. And Pharaoh says, no. <laughs> he says, in fact, the reason you guys want to go into the desert to worship is because you're lazy. So now, instead of just making bricks and we us providing the straw for you, you got to get your own straw, and you can't lower your quota of bricks you make in a day. When Pharaoh told the elders of Israel this, you can imagine the elders of Israel were not real happy with Moses. They find Moses and they say to him, may God judge you. You have made us a stench in Pharaoh's nostrils and given him a sword to kill us. It wasn't going well. They were incredibly discouraged in that moment. Because now, if you, if you kind of just look at human persona and what these people have been going through for 400 years, you can make the assumption that they kind of figured out how to survive, even as slaves. They were severely oppressed, but they were getting by. They weren't happy, but they were getting by. So they were kind of at this place of just managing. Then all of a sudden, Moses comes along. God comes along and says, hey, I'm going to deliver you guys. All of a sudden, their hope goes way up here. And they're really excited. Oh, yes, God's going to do it. And now he didn't do it. And now their workload is even worse than it was. So now instead of going from here to here, they actually didn't go back down to here. They went down even further. Because now their workload's increased. But now it's also affected their faith. Because, well, God said he was going to do this. I guess he's not all powerful. I guess he's not really good. I guess he's not sovereign. I guess he's not faithful. I guess he's not all these things we've been singing about our whole life. And so now they have the mindset, and I'm, I'm, this is not in the scriptures, but you can make the assumption that they have the mindset, it'd have been better if God had just left us alone. I feel like Thomas probably felt that way too because Thomas was the same way. He was living his life. All of a sudden, he meets the Messiah. He gets to see the greatest miracles ever, ever happened in the history of the world. So now he's way up here. He's like, yes, I am with the Messiah. I'm getting to see the coolest things ever. And not only that, we're going to kick Rome out of here pretty soon. And next thing you know, his leader is dead. So he went from here to here, and he's down here. And it might have even been better if he just never even met Jesus is probably what he's thinking at that point or if Jesus would have at least stayed out of this situation that he's in. And you know, I wonder if we've ever felt that way. Where you've been in a tough situation, maybe you're just cruising along, you're not, not, things aren't great, but all of a sudden you get some hope because you feel like God's gonna do something. Maybe somebody spoke to you, maybe you feel like God spoke to you, he's gonna do something. It didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen and next thing you know, whew, you're worse off than you were before and you've thought, God, I wish you would have just left me alone, I'd have been fine on my own. I bet we've all thought that at times. Can't say it. Can't say it in church of all places. Actually, we can. That's where we should be the most transparent. But there's a pride in us that won't let us go to that place necessarily because we just know that that's not right. But we still feel it sometimes, even though we don't want to say it. And you can feel like, man, I just wish maybe God would have just left me alone. And you know what? There's one thing in common with all of this. When it comes to this this discouragement or feeling like God might have let you down or or it's just not good, there's a a common thread between the Israelites, Thomas, you and me. And that common thread is you and it's me. It's all about me. When we get discouraged in our faith, church, it's all about me. It's about me. You You can't get discouraged about the character of God because he's not changing. He's never changed. The Bible's clear, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is above all, there's no one above him, there's no one beside him. He's not man that he should lie, that he can even lie. He can't be unfaithful to himself, it's impossible. So he's always faithful, he's all powerful, he's created it all, he sits on the only throne in the universe that actually matters, and no one can ever knock him off of that throne. Nothing has ever changed about our God. Nothing has ever changed about his character. Nothing has ever changed about his love for you. So when we're frustrated in our faith and we feel like, God, I wish you'd just leave me alone, it has nothing to do with who he is and everything to do with who you are. Every single time, without fail, in the history of the world, everyone's frustration with God is always about this guy. Every single time. That's just the way it works. Because we want something the way we want it, and it doesn't happen that way, so we're frustrated with God. God's character isn't the fault. Even in these two situations, the Israelites, they wanted God to deliver them because he said he was going to do it. He didn't say he was going to do it the first time Moses talked to Pharaoh. He said he was going to do it. He didn't say when. And so when it didn't happen the way they thought, well, just leave us alone, Moses. Go away. In fact, it says that they didn't even hear Moses because they were so discouraged. And when we become so discouraged, we can't even hear God because we just want him to leave us alone. Let me just figure this out on my own. And our self is what gets in the way every time. And this is what causes us to struggle oftentimes because we too often can think that God coming into our life is really about making our life better. And does He make our life better? In some ways, He does, for sure. He brings a peace that goes against any understanding. We just sang about that this morning. I got peace that makes no sense has nothing to do with my circumstances, but I can trust that he's gonna bring peace in my life. I trust that that he's good, that he's my provider, that he's my healer, that he is my source, that he is everything in my life. Of course, in some ways he makes my life better, but it doesn't always manifest in the ways we want it to manifest. And so when it doesn't, then we're frustrated. And listen, this isn't even a rebuke, okay? This is just more of an FYI. This is just more of us getting some understanding about what causes us to be discouraged in our faith. We just need to be reminded for some of us, and some of you have never even thought of this or knew this, you just need to know that it's about you. Your frustration, your discouragement with God is not about God. It's about you because he is perfect. He is never changing. He's the first and the last. He's everything. He's the beginning and the end. He's the bright and morning star. He's the Rose of Sharon. The names go on and on and on and on about who he is. He is his name is faithful and true. That's who he is. And he's done everything he needed to do to make sure that your eternity can be secured. He doesn't change. It's us that change. We're the ones that go on this roller coaster of emotions and wanting things and, and struggling with our own narcissism in our life. We all deal with it. It's so easy to be about ourselves where we want comfort more than we really want his glory in our life. And, and the reason I'm sharing with you, with this with you this morning is because I want us to understand and be reminded that the win in our faith, the win, the biggest win in your faith, is if it's more about him than it is about you. That's the big win in faith, church. If it's more about him than it is about your comfort, that it's more about him than it is about your peace. Then it is more about him than it is about your financial setting. Then it's more about him than it is about your health condition. That it's more about him in every situation. That's the goal in our faith. That's where we should be striving to get to. To where I don't need it to be about me. To where I can actually say, yes, of course I have wants and I have needs and I have desires. and There's things that I dream for. But at the end of the day, Jesus, I want your glory more than I want my own. And to say it and be able to believe it is everything, church. It's everything. That's where the peace comes that makes no sense. <laughs> That's where it comes from. It comes from wanting his glory more than I want my own. And when we talk about our own glory, it's not like we want people to worship us, but we do want to live in this, this, this hue, this beam of light that just keeps everything around us from really harming us, to where our life is safe and comfortable. That's about my glory. That's about me getting what I feel like I need most, not necessarily giving him what he deserves most. That's the challenge. So to know if you are growing in your faith, it's a very, very simple litmus test. Do you want his glory more than you want your comfort? And, if, and I'm not saying that you know, we're sitting, at, yep, you get to this place where it's just all about him and you don't care about anything in your life. That's not what this is about. But it's about wanting his fame. It's about wanting his kingdom to come more than you want your own. And, and if you look at your life and you look 10 years ago at your life of faith and you think, you know what, I haven't grown at all in that, you have not grown in your faith. To grow in your faith is about wanting more of him and less of you. That's why John the Baptist said, I have to decrease and he needs to increase in my life. John the Baptist was even saying that and he was somebody who was completely sold out for, for God. And so it's not like if you Pray enough, it's not like if you read your Bible enough that you'll just grow in your faith and everything will just work. It's about consistently reminding yourself and even being real with God about what your desires are and wanting your desires for him to outweigh the desires you have for yourself and to grow in that way in your life. That's his desire for all of us. And if you say today, well, I'm not there, does that make me a bad person? No, a thousand times no, because we all deal with it. But it's also like, it's like a scale. We're trying to tip that scale to where it is more about him than it is us. That when, when, I, when I get consumed with myself, that I, I have a short leash for myself, that I allow the Spirit of God to convict me, that when I am making it about myself, that I'm quick to, to adjust and correct it so that I'm not just living for me, but that I'm living for him. And it's just such a great uh, measuring stick for us to see where we are. Because if we really are walking this life of faith, it's about, him more than it is us. And so there are these stages of faith that I think we see from, uh, from the life of Thomas that we see in the Word. As we go through this, this life, there are, there are different stages that we go through in faith. And again, it's not a perfect progression. There's, these aren't exhaustive. It's not, this is the way it has to go for you to really grow in your faith. But we see this in the life of Thomas and we see how God responds to these things. And it's really good. Uh, it's, it's a good measuring stick for us to use for ourselves. I want to go through these, and, and I'm going to give them all three to you quickly, and then we're going to unpack them a little more. But these stages of faith we see in Thomas's life are zeal, starts out with zeal, moves into doubt, and then eventually to assurance. Zeal, doubt, to assurance. And let me just give you each one of these three again with a little more detail, and then I'll, then I'll break them all down together one at a time. But zeal is, is where we typically start out in our faith. When you first give your life to Jesus, and you you know, if you've you've experienced his saving grace, chances are you were probably pretty zealous on the front end. You know, you're on that honeymoon with Jesus. I remember it very, very well when I was about 18, 19, and I finally decided I'm gonna stop playing games. I'm gonna live for Jesus. And I started... I was so zealous. I mean, I was so excited about what he'd done in my life. I was so excited to live my life for him. I was, I was cutting out everything out of my life. I wasn't listening to any music except Christian music, and I was at the church every time the doors were open. I was reading my Bible. I was praying, and he was answering prayers, and I mean, I was talking to people about Jesus, and it was just a lot of fun, and I thought, man, this is gonna be the best life ever. I'm just gonna ride this wave all the way till I die. <laughs> Had a lot of zeal, not a lot of wisdom. And eventually, what happens typically is you'll have you'll get to that moment where zeal or doubt will start to kind of creep in. Sometimes doubt explodes in. But doubt will creep into your life at some point because the zeal you have a lot of times at the beginning especially lacks some wisdom and lacks some understanding. And so eventually you get to that place where something happens that doesn't make sense to you. Like, well, wait, but I love Jesus. Why is that happening? Why did I lose my job? Why is my boss being mean to me and treating me horrible when I love Jesus? (laughs) And so suddenly doubt starts to creep in. You start to wonder, well, Is that really true? Do I really believe what I think I believe? And you start to question things that you were sure of a little bit ago. And doubt can come in. And this, you know, doubt can last for a couple hours. It can last for days. It can last for weeks. It can last for years, depending on the situation and how you handle that doubt in your life. But this zeal will turn into some doubt. But then the plan is, and God's plan for us, is that we would go through that doubt, eventually get to a place of assurance, And assurance is actually even better than zeal. Because assurance is based on experience. It's based on really being able to say that I know, that I know, that what I believe is the truth. And that's where God wants us to get in our life. And we're gonna look at this journey that that, uh, that Thomas takes to get to that place as well. Uh, So we'll start with the stage of faith that is is zeal. Zeal is good. Uh, Zeal is what drives you. Zeal is passion. You know, it's what gets gets you out of bed in the morning being zealous for something, being excited for something. And what we see is that Thomas was actually pretty excited about Jesus at first. You know, he gets the label doubting Thomas, but he wasn't always that way. In fact, I'm going to take you back to to John 11. It's where Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus is really sick. And Jesus wants to go to Judea to pray for him. Well, the disciples are pretty scared to go back to Judea because the last time they were there, they tried to kill him. And so we're going to read here in John 11, uh, verses 7 to 8. It says, then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to, kill, to stone you, and yet you want to go back there? So they're a little nervous about this. They're like, well, wait, I don't know about this, Jesus. And so we drop down to verse 14, and he says, he told them plainly, listen, Lazarus is dead. So it wasn't just sick anymore. Now he was dead. And he says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. He's going to show them what he can do. But let us go to him. And then Thomas called Didymus said to the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That's zeal on display right there. That's a whole lot of zeal coming from Thomas in that situation. Now, not a lot of wisdom, because if you remember, Didymus means twin. So going with someone that you look just like to a place where they want to kill him, that's a little risky, right? But that just shows us how zealous Thomas was for Jesus. He believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And at this point, he probably believed that, hey, I can go with him. There's no way we're going to die because he's the Messiah, and he's going to kick Rome out of here. And so he wasn't so worried about it. But he was very, very zealous, even though this seemed like it could have been a suicide mission. He had the zeal, but eventually it turned into doubt. So we move forward to this stage of faith that is doubt that Thomas went through. Thomas' zeal turned it out when Jesus died. In fact, if you remember from my text verse, John 20, it says very clearly, I'm I'm actually going to read that verse again in verse 25. It says that Thomas said to the disciples, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. Doubt had settled in for Thomas. He was letting it settle in. It resided in him. Thomas had unmet expectations. And we all know that the biggest gateway into our life for doubt to come in is the gateway of unmet expectations. When something we expect doesn't happen, it can easily allow doubt to come in. It can allow it to come in, and the thing about doubt, when it comes in, it doesn't always just affect that one specific area that happened. It'll oftentimes spread like a fungus and start affecting a lot more of your faith. Start making you question things that you felt like you were secure in before, but because of one little crack, all of a sudden, It's like a crack in a windshield that just starts spreading. Next thing you know, the whole windshield's affected. And that's exactly what doubt wants to do in us and in our life. And Thomas had unmet expectations, and that's why the doubt came in. And if you continue to stay in that place, if we continue to stay where our faith is about us, as we're talking about today, this stage of faith, this doubt stage of faith can stay a whole lifetime, church. There are no guarantees that doubt will just kind of, you'll just go through this phase and come out on the other side assured. The, the thing we have to do when we, when we encounter the, the stage of doubt in our faith is that we have to stay strong in what we believe. We have to stay faithful to what we believe. We keep our hand to the plow. And even though we have doubts, we keep moving forward. We keep showing up. We keep being faithful. We keep doing what we know is right. We keep serving God and trusting him, even in our doubt. Because if we don't, the doubt will reside there and grow roots and become deeply rooted in our life. It's not just going to all of a sudden give up and just walk away. And so the challenge for us and the encouragement for us today, when we think about doubt, thinking, well, what do I do? Because I can't help how I feel. Stay faithful. Stay faithful when it doesn't feel like, when you don't feel like being faithful. I will go as far as to say church, stay faithful. When it feels completely pointless, stay faithful. When you don't feel like it's any good. Can I tell you today, I know a lot of us in this room today probably dealing with some doubt right now in our faith. Can I tell you, the fact that you showed up today says that you are keeping your hand to the plow. That you are doing what you know to be faithful. Because I promise you, to get to that place of assurance, you're going to have to go through the stage of doubt. You can't sit in it and rest in it. The way we defeat doubt in our life is not to just stay there and to stay in self-pity. Self-pity is the place, is what ushers doubt in and lets it grow a family and become a nation inside of us. Self-pity is the the gasoline on the fire. We all deal with self-pity at times. There's nobody that doesn't feel sorry for themselves sometimes. I feel sorry for myself sometimes. You do too. We all do it, but we don't stay in that place. When we recognize it, we deal with it. We say, I have nothing to be pitiful about in my life. There's nothing for me to have self-pity about because I'm gonna stand on the truth of God's word. I'm gonna stand on the truth of who Jesus is. I know what he's done for me. I know where I came from. I know that he has died to set me free, and I'm gonna stand on that. And we don't allow ourselves to just get caught up in that pity, but we go through it. And we get victory over it in our life. I wanna encourage you today that God is not intimidated, by your doubt, he's not angry about your doubt. It doesn't make him stand there and just think, man, after all I've done, after all I've done for them, they still doubt. Angels, I don't know what I'm gonna do with these people. That's not how our God works. He's not intimidated, he's not angry, he's not wanting to cast you aside, he's not wanting to leave you, he's not frustrated that you're struggling with doubt, he knows that you're a human being and that the sin nature is always going to go away from faith in God and it's always going to go to this part of humanism and wanting just what I want and when it doesn't line up with what God's doing, then it's going to breed doubt in my life. And that's going to be a struggle till the day we die, till the day we get to meet him face to face. On some level, it's going to be a challenge in our life. But we don't stay in that place, but I want you to know that he is not intimidated by it. But I also want you to know that the place of assurance you're looking for, if you want to get to that stage of assurance in your life, it is always going to come through the stage of doubt. Always. If you're here today and you would say, Oh no, I'm very, very sure of Jesus. I'm very sure that he is who he says he is. I'm sure that, that, uh, uh, that he's my provider. I'm sure that he's my healer. I, I just have no doubt and you've, you've never went through a season of doubt in your life. Can I tell you, you're not in a place of assurance, you're actually in a place of zeal. You just haven't got to the place of doubt yet. But I can tell you it's coming. And that's not a downer for any of us. That's just an awareness for us to understand that that is exactly how it works. We're gonna go through those because the only way to get to a full place of assurance is to have gone through the doubt. The only way to get to the mountaintop is to go through the valley. It's the way to get there, church. It's just the way it works. I don't make the rules, I'm just the messenger. We're gonna, you're going to go through those times of doubt. The, the fact that there's things in my faith that I am completely assured of that I will die for in my faith in Jesus have come from going through seasons of doubt. Going through those seasons where, where I have doubted and God has made an appearance in my life and he has shown me who he is. Exactly what he did for Thomas is exactly what he wants to do for us. Where he, and I'm going to show you that in a moment. Of what he did for Thomas, he met him in his doubt to bring him to a place of assurance. In fact, let's go to this last one, the stage of faith called assurance. This is the place where you know that you know. This is where you can say, blessed blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And to really know it and believe it and mean it in your heart. This is where we all want to be. This is where every one of us wants to be, where we can say the words and believe it in our heart. Thomas got to that place. Let's read it. John 20 and verse 26 so Thomas just said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. A week after he said that, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas showed up. Thomas was with him. He showed up. He had doubt, but he didn't give up. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my god exclamation point he got his assurance he got the assurance that he was looking for and let me tell you something church there is some great truth in these little bit of these few verses here about how god works in our doubt in our life first of all we see again jesus wasn't intimidated by his doubt jesus didn't avoid him it wasn't like jesus is like i'm not going into that house because thomas is there in fact You can make the argument that he probably went into that house because Thomas was there. It says he walks in and says, peace be with you. Where's Thomas? Went right to him. He went right to him in his doubt. And he didn't say, Thomas, why are you doubting? Didn't you see me turn all those loaves of bread and those few fish into a ton of food? Didn't you see me walk on water? Didn't you see me heal Bartimaeus? Didn't you see me heal the woman with the issue of bleeding? What are you doing, Thomas? What do I have to do to get you to believe, brother? He didn't do any of that. You know what he did? He met him at his place of doubt. I want to read for you again. It's not going to be up there, but what Thomas said. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Right? A week later, Jesus shows up. Hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. He did exactly what Thomas said he needed. I mean verbatim, church. Word for word. He said, this is what you need? You showed up. You want to see this? Here you go. Let me show you. Let me relieve you of your doubt. But he didn't even just show him this stuff and say, like, he wasn't there to console him and say, I'm really sorry you feel this way, Thomas. I'm really sorry that you're doubtful. Let us pray together. He revealed himself to him, he made an appearance, showed himself to Thomas, and then once he showed himself, he said, now listen, I need you to stop doubting. Stop believing those lies. I am who I said I am. I've just proven it to you. And because of that, Thomas goes, my Lord and my God. He got the assurance he was looking for. Now why did Thomas get it, and sometimes we don't? I believe there's a few reasons. I believe, first of all, he was honest. He was honest about his doubt. Could you imagine, he was with for all intents and purposes, Thomas was with the early church when he said that to the disciples. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. Could you imagine somebody in church today being in church and just being real transparent and saying, you know, I believe Jesus to, to heal uh, my, my dad from cancer, and my dad just died. We just buried him last week, so I'm done. I'm not believing unless I see something. Could you imagine, if somebody came into church and said that, we'd all be like, Whoa. Whoa, uh, we got to do something. Get this guy some coffee. He needs something. Because you just don't hear that. Because when we come into church, it's, ah, bless you, brother. I'm good. How are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. Praise God. Can't wait to sing some worship songs today. Inside, you're dying. Inside, you're like, I don't even know if I believe this stuff. And so we live in our doubt. We stay in that doubt for for months, years, lifetimes. Because we just refuse to be honest with ourselves. I'm not saying we go spout off to everybody we talk to how much we just don't want to believe in Jesus anymore. But there's got to be some transparency in our life, even if it's just with ourselves. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I see it. But you know what? The next time they were together in a house, Thomas showed up. Because he was like, well, I doubt, but man, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be something I'm missing. It's got to be more. I'm not going to, I don't want to go back to my old life, but I'm really struggling. So he shows up and Jesus meets him in that place. And says, hey, yeah, Thomas, I heard exactly what you said. I heard exactly what you said you need. Come here, let me show you. And he shows him and says, stop doubting. You can believe now. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Church, I don't know about you, but I want so desperately to be at that place in every area of my life where I have this assurance that I could say, my Lord and my God. You're my everything. I trust you in everything. You know, We get in different places in our faith. Some of you might be at that place of assurance where you fully are assured that Jesus is your provider and he's gonna help you take care of your finances in your life. You've gone through zeal and doubt and now you're there. But the the same person could be at a place where you're really struggling in doubt, wondering if God is really good all the time or if he's really all-powerful all the time or if he really cares about your situations. We have different areas of our life. We can have some assurance in some and some doubt in others. And that's normal. That's, that's where we're at. That's who we are as humans. But the goal for us, I would hope, would be I want to be honest with my God because I want him to make an appearance in my life in the area of my health or in the area of my relationship or the discipline in my life or the, whatever it is that I'm struggling with, being real with him and saying, God, I need you to meet me in this place. I don't even need you to fix it. I just want to know that you're real in it so I can say my Lord and my God. That's exactly what he did for Thomas, and that's exactly what he wants to do for you and for me, to where we don't have to live in that doubt. We don't have to act like we have it all together, but we can be honest with our God, and we can say the things. When you see what Thomas said there, I don't know about you, but when I read it, I cringe. When I read, oh, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it unless I see this and this and this, and I think, ooh, that had to upset Jesus. No, it didn't. He went to him and said, here, he wants to get to see it. That's who he is. He's not insecure or intimidated by our lack of faith or our struggles or our challenges in life. He just wants us to be real with it so we can actually come to him with open hands and not say, I got it all together, Jesus. I just need you to, you know, walk with me here. No, Jesus, I'm struggling. I need you desperately to meet me in this place. And that's where he meets you. That's where he comes to meet you. And and it makes it about him. My last thing about this, what I love about this verse so much is that for Thomas to have the assurance that Jesus was who he said he was, Jesus didn't have to heal him. He didn't have to pour a ton of money into his bank account. He didn't have to fix all of his relationships. He didn't have to do anything for him. He just revealed himself to him. That's all he did. He said, I am who I say I am. And Thomas believed it. Too oftentimes for us, we want to see God do something for us and then I'll believe it. Well, God, if you'll heal my mom, then I'll I'll know then. God, if you'll take care of my job situation, if you'll heal my marriage, if you'll deal with my kids, if you'll do a miracle here, then I'm really gonna believe it. You know what happens a lot of times? Is that is what gives us the, the little bump we need, but eventually that can fade too. Because it's not about what he can do for you. It's understanding who he is. When you really understand who he is, that's what changes us. That's what transforms us is knowing that he is who he says he is and knowing that he's trustworthy, knowing that he's faithful, knowing that he's powerful, knowing that he is above everything and that he's sovereign and that I can trust him even when I don't understand and even when my circumstances are not great. All he did for Thomas was show him that he is who he says he is. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Church, that's the key for us. I'm not saying we shouldn't be asking him for stuff, for him to heal and for him to restore and for him to provide and all those things. That's who he is. That's part of who he is. But if you really want to get through the doubt in your life, it's not about seeing another miracle. Think of all the miracles Thomas saw. Think of all the miracles that all the disciples saw. They saw stuff that would make your jaw hit the floor and you'd have, need a, dumped or a, a front end loader to pick your jaw up. Some of the most incredible stuff. You would think if I saw that, there's no way I could doubt everyone I'm scattered when he was arrested. It's not about the miracles. It's not about what he can do for us. It's about understanding who he is first. When we understand who he is, then the other stuff, if he does miracles for us, wonderful. But if he doesn't, that's okay too, because you're still Jesus. You're still God. You're still worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my life, not because of what he does. He's worthy of my life because of who he is. And that's where we need to get in our life, church, where he's worthy because of who he is, period. It stops at the end of that sentence. The stuff he does for me, That's wonderful too. That's a part of who he is too. But that's not what makes him worthy of my life. A lot of people witnessed his miracles on the earth that didn't even follow him. They thought, wow, that was really cool, do another one. But it didn't do anything for their faith. They still didn't believe in him. Because it's not about what he does for us, it's about who he is first and foremost. And the rest all comes after that. This can revolutionize your life of faith if you will focus on asking him to reveal himself to you, not what he can do for you. It will revolutionize everything. I, I can tell you from personal experience. It's revolutionized my life when I, have fo- when I focus on who he is and not on what I want him to do for me. It, change, it can change my, my, my mood, my spiritual climate inside of me in a moment when I will say, God, it's really just about you. I've said this before, but I remind myself of it every Sunday morning when I come in here. I was here at 5.30 this morning in my office praying, God, I still feel like it's too much about me. It's still too much about me in my heart and in my mind. I want it to be about you. And I focused my attention and my prayer for 10 minutes on just saying, God, this is about you, and you alone, you get all the glory. If I never hear of anything good that comes out of anything I do, it's okay because it's not about me, it's about you. And I don't need to even see it To believe it because I know that you're good. And man, it's amazing what it does to my psyche. I came in here jazzed up this morning because of that. Because I know it's not about me. And when we get to that place in our life where we get away from it being, it's about me, it's about me, it's about what God can do for me. And when it's really, it's about you, Jesus, that you're worthy of my life because of who you are, not because of what you're going to do in my life. If I pray enough or if I serve you enough, it changes everything. Praise God. Pray, stand with me, please, church. Listen, I, I, I want to take a minute here. I want to, yes, let's praise God together. I want to invite you to the altar today. And listen, we're just, we're going to do this quickly, but I, I want to just, I think there's a, it's important sometimes that we respond to the word of God. And if you want God to make an appearance in your life, if you want him to reveal himself to you in a certain area in your life that you feel like you've probably been more about yourself. I just want you to come up. I want to pray for all of us at the altar this morning that want this. And I, don't wait around, don't look to see if it's popular. There's a powerful thing about responding to what God is doing in our hearts. It's res- powerful to respond to his word. I'm not saying there's a, anything magical up here at this stage, but it is, does something in our heart when we respond to him. And we, and we declare today, Jesus, I want you to be revealed in my life. We're not going to ask him for anything up here this morning, church. We're not going to ask him to heal, We're not going to ask him to do anything right now. And again, please don't misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with asking him to do things in our life. But in this moment, I want us to focus on just him revealing himself to us, who he is, not what he can do, but who he is, that he is high and lifted up, that he is the king of kings, that he is the Lord of lords, that he is the author of life. He is the author and perfecter of my faith that he is the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the first, he's the last. He's the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords. His name is Faithful and True. He has your name written on the palm of his hands. That your name, if you are a follower of Jesus, your name is in his book that is gonna stay there forever and you're gonna be with him in eternity forever. And he is worthy of our lives. The disciples, he told them, you have to lay down your life if you're gonna follow me. You gotta pick up your cross to follow me. You're gonna live a life of sacrifice. You're gonna live a life of serving. You're gonna live a life that's not for yourself anymore, but it's gonna be for me. Lord, would you reveal that to us today? Would you take us to that place, God? Lord, just like you revealed yourself to Thomas and showed him who you really are, God, would you show us who you are? Well, Lord, we're not asking you to do anything today. In this moment, we're not asking you for anything other than to know you in a greater way, to be assured of who you are, to be assured that you are who you say you are, that we can say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, to know that you are our Lord and our God. God, for those of us that are dealing with doubt today, Lord, I pray that you would come into that place God, that we wouldn't settle there, that we would not let it root in, that we would not fall into self-pity and feeling sorry for ourselves or just constantly questioning you and who you are. But, Lord, that we would come through that doubt into a place of assurance, that we would continue to be faithful even when it doesn't make sense. Lord, that we would continue to be faithful even when it seems pointless in our life, that we'll continue to show up, that we'll continue to honor you, that we will continue to live for you, we will continue to be in your word, we'll continue to be part of a church, we'll continue to to, to talk to you and to be honest and open with you, Lord, knowing that you can meet us in that place and bring us from that place of doubt to a place of assurance. We trust you for that. You're the only one that can do it, Lord. You're the only one that can do it. And I love it because your word tells us in fact, right after you told Tom or Thomas told you, my Lord and my God, you said blessed are you, Thomas, because you have seen but blessed even more are those who have seen, who believe and haven't seen. Thank you that there's a blessing for us, Lord. We know we don't get to see you with our eyeballs but Lord, we can see you in our heart. You could still reveal yourself in powerful ways. So Lord, would you do that today? God, where we have put up the facade to make it look like we got everything together and we're not struggling, God, forgive us because it's nothing short of a sin in our life. Forgive us, Lord, for doing that. And God, cleanse us and help us to be real with you. Thank you for Thomas's raw transparency. Help us to be rawly transparent with you too knowing that you're not intimidated by it, you're not angered by it, but you'll meet us in that place. We thank you for it, Lord. Minister to our hearts now, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing, God. Thank you for what you're doing in this moment. This time is all about you, Jesus. Let our lives be about glorifying you and exalting you and lifting you, letting your fame become greater, your name becoming greater your kingdom coming, not our kingdom. We don't care about our kingdom. We don't wanna care about our kingdom, I should say, because we do care about it. But Lord, we don't wanna care about it. We wanna care about your kingdom first. It's not about New Hope's kingdom. It's not about our personal kingdoms. It is about the kingdom of God coming in our life. And on this earth, God, for your glory, reveal yourself, Lord. Would you pour out your spirit in this place, God? Pour out your spirit, Lord. We wanna see feel your manifest presence in this place, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal yourself in a powerful way, Lord. God, that it would be about you and not about us. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that your word promises us you will never forsake us. You will never cast us aside a a bruised reed. You will not break. A smoldering wick you will not snuff out. Lord, many of us just have smoldering wicks and bruised reeds, but Lord, we thank you that you will restore it. We thank you that you are the healer. We thank you that you are the one that is full of mercy and grace. There are oceans of grace waiting for us as we come to you, God. We thank you for it today, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We praise your name, Jesus. You are worthy in this place, Lord. You are worthy of our praise, Lord. You are worthy of our lives, God. You are worthy, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth. Worthy are you to receive all glory, honor, power, and praise. Worthy of our words. You're worthy of our feet. You're worthy of our thoughts. You're worthy of our relationships. You're worthy to be in our decisions. You're worthy to be in our places of work. You're worthy to be in our schools. You're worthy to be in every part of our life, Lord. Where we have held you back, God, would you come in? We invite you in, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Do your work. Reveal yourself. Would you make an appearance in our lives? In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, let's praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not in a hurry, church. We're not going to be in a hurry. I refuse to try to stop just so we can get out of here. If you need to leave, that's fine. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, build up your church. Build up your church. Let us be an army for you, Jesus. An army for you, Lord. Take us to that place of assurance, Lord, where we can stand firm on what we know to be true to stand against the darts of the enemy, to stand against the arrows of society, to be your light. Lord, we will not be quiet. We will not be silenced. We will not just be under the radar, Lord. We are called to be a city on a hill. We are called to be light and salt to this world, Lord Jesus. But Lord, we know when we are in a place of doubt that it is so difficult to stand firm when we doubt ourselves and we doubt you. So God, bring us to that place of assurance where we can say, my Lord and my God, we will proclaim it from the mountaintops. We will proclaim it to those in our life that don't know you. We will not be scared to share our love of Jesus with those around us for fear of rejection, for fear of being made fun of, for fear of being ridiculed or even persecuted, God. We wanna be able to stand strong in our faith, to be a light. God, the the message we have is eternal. It is life-saving. It is everything that this world needs. And God, I pray that you would help us to share it to be a church in motion, to be people that will take your word and not be ashamed, not be discouraged, not be beat down, but we will be your soldiers. We know that when we sign up for this walk of salvation, Lord, that we are signing up for an army, we're signing up to be part of a battleship, not a cruise ship. Lord, we wanna embrace that in our lives, that we will fight the good fight for you, Lord, that we will love others as as you have loved us, that we will sacrificially love even those that don't love you and even more those that don't love you so they can see the love of Christ. That even, as Peter said, that even those far from you will have to will have to worship God because of you in us. So we thank you that for that today, Lord. We bless your name, God. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Be glorified in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, I pray for all those in this room and listening online that do not know you as their Savior. God, would you touch their hearts today? Lord, help them to see that the greatest decision we could ever make is to give our hearts and our life to you. To know that we are, when we're far from you, we have no purpose in this life. The only thing that gives us purpose is knowing Jesus and having your Spirit living in us. So God, would you do that work in our hearts, Lord, for those that have fallen away from you, that know, but have just rejected it, God, help them to come back. Draw them back, Lord, draw them back. Lord, we thank you that your mercy, your grace is sufficient, and it is, it is powerful enough to redeem us and heal us and set us free from all of our sins and to live for you, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray that no one under the sound of my voice would walk away from this time not knowing that they know you and they've given their life to you and they've been forgiven of their sins and they have a savior named Jesus. We thank you for it today, Lord. And it's in your precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's praise God one more time. Thank you. Praise God. Thank the Lord.